0: And so it's good to have you today. We're going to kind of recapture uh, or re-engage in a study we've been doing off and on for quite some time through the book of Acts. Uh, we finished up Jonah last week, uh, a great story of redemption and hope, uh, not so much about a fish uh, and, or a whale and a guy who got swallowed by it, uh, but about a story about hope and redemption. And today uh, we're going to look at the beginning uh, of the missions movement, kind of the early days of the church going worldwide. Uh, we're on the cusp of that, and as we do that, Uh, Let me remind you that the Bible uh, is sometimes gory, and we're going to have kind of a gory moment today, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do, I want to tell you about some exciting news uh, happening on the mission field. Uh, Speaking of worldwide missions, you may remember last fall, like we do every year around Thanksgiving time, we take up an offering, and that offering is creatively called the Thanksgivers Offering. That was really funny. At Thanksgiving time, we take up a thanksgiver's offering, and this past year we raised a truckload of money, and over ten thousand dollars of that uh, went to help build uh, a church uh, in Haiti. And we support a ministry called New Missions that works specifically in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Uh, that they do, they have a great strategy of building a school because school is not free in Haiti, and so they build a school where kids can attend for free, and then and right next to it this is a tremendous strategy they build a church right next to the school. And so this is the beginning of a church in Chateau, Haiti. You can see they've made the outline, that green space in the middle is actually where the church building will be. And then as the guys scroll through, you'll see some other guys working. And then eventually they see the walls of the church beginning to go up. And so thank you. Uh, We contributed a little over 10,000 of the $75,000 needed to build this church. And so I just want to say thank you uh, on behalf of the new mission. Team, when I was out a few weeks ago, I actually uh, went to lunch uh, with the president of New Missions, and he and I talked, and he was thrilled that that was happening. So he sent me some photos for to share with you. And so continue to pray for Haiti. Uh, they've been in the news recently because their president was assassinated, brutally murdered uh, in his home, and in a country that's already unstable, it's created more instability. And the only uh, answer is the power of the gospel. And so be praying for Haiti. Thank you for your contribution to see the gospel advanced in Haiti uh, and beyond. And as we look at the book of Acts today, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. And in the book of Acts, uh, there's, there's some gruesome thing the bible is full of kind of gruesome things and i'm not sure if you're a if you're a movie person i I like movies a lot Uh, i'm not a huge fan of gory movies i I do like war movies and sometimes they have gore in them uh but i don't know if you're a you know you're a person who likes horror movies psychological thrillers action movies but it seems like more and more today uh, especially given uh that Black Widow just came out this weekend, uh, that that violence and gore are a part of sort of the movie industry. And I'm always amazed at how the good guy can hit an enemy from a million miles away with a handmade gun. And the elite-trained assassin who is the enemy, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if his life depended on it. That's kind of how gory movies, action movies happen. But gore is sort of a part of our life, and today we're going to get a small glimpse of that at the beginning of our passage, and just know uh, the Bible does have uh, some horrible things in it. And as I set the stage for you today, there's a man in charge, his name is Herod Agrippa, Uh, He is the leader of Rome in this area, and Herod Agrippa is a powerful man who does not like minority groups, and Christianity is a minority group in the first century, and he is determined to root out all minority groups because he wants to maintain power and control. At the same time, in The region surrounding Israel, he wants to keep the Jewish religious leaders on his team because he needs their influence in the community. And so you have this powerful man who's trying to appease Jewish leaders and destroy all minorities of which Christianity is one. And so with that in mind, let's read Acts chapter 12 We're going to read verses 1 through 11 and then pick the story back up uh, in a moment. It says, About that time, Herod, the king, had laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That means he was beheaded. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And he said to him, "Wrap your cloak around you and follow me." And he went out and followed him. He didn't, did not know what was being done by this angel, if this what was being done by this angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. This is kind of a strange and wild story here. Uh, A little bit of gore, uh, a little bit of chaos, uh, a whole lot of God uh, in this moment. In this account of Peter in the jail. Christianity at this point in the early church, uh, probably in the early 40s um, A.D., uh, was spreading. and It was beginning to spread. And persecution had come to some extent, but Herod and his successors were about to tighten the screws on this little movement called Christianity. Because the gospel was on the cusp of being a worldwide movement. And the leaders... We're squarely against that. And every time there's a worldwide movement, anytime time there's a movement of the gospel, persecution comes. That's happening right now as we speak in the 21st century in a lot of places not named America. Persecution is happening because the gospel is spreading mightily. In countries where it's illegal to be a Christian or where there's another world religion in dominant power, is a challenge to be a Christian, but that's in those moments where the gospel flourishes. And it's in this moment where the gospel is gonna begin to flourish. Herod is angry at the Christians and so he uses his power to arrest and execute James. That's the brother of John, sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. That's the guy who was beheaded. James, killed for his faith by the Roman leader. And the Jews were excited that this heretic had been murdered. I find it funny, it's uh, disturbing, not funny like ha-ha funny, funny, disturbing when someone gets excited about someone else being killed. That should never be true. We should never be excited about someone else dying. No matter how evil or wretched we think they are, uh, the loss of life is horrible. And these Jews get excited that this heretic has been killed and so Herod goes after Peter, the main man, the head guy. He's ready to to get rid of him too, and then this little movement will be squashed. If the leader's out, they'll be in disarray. And so he arrests him, and he can't execute him immediately because there's a feast going on, a festival going on, the festival of unleavened bread. This was a festival in the Jewish culture to remind them about how God provided for them in the desert, in the wilderness, when they were wandering around for years and years and years, how God provided for them each and every day. And at the end of that time, he brought the manna down from heaven, the the what is it, because they didn't know what it was. That's what this festival was, was to remember God's faithfulness to them. I'm always amazed at how people who are God-conscious can inflict so much harm on others. People who claim to follow after God want the destruction of so many others. And so here we have Peter arrested in this maximum security prison. He has three or four guards with him at all time. That's what that four by four kind of idea, and you see it in the prison cell when he's sleeping. He's such a mastermind criminal That they have to have four guys around him all the time guarding the preacher. That's the scene here. The preacher is being guarded by four guys all the time two in the cell with him and two outside the door. And they rotate on four hour shifts during the day and three hour shifts at night. So this preacher man doesn't escape. So you imagine the people are nervous, they're afraid. They've seen what's happened to James, and now could that happen to Peter? And so what do they do? What could they do? What what could this tiny minority group called Christians, what could they do against the great power of Rome? What recourse did they have? What legal avenue did they have? What military force did they have? They had none. They had nothing. They had no power except the power of God. And so they pray earnestly. They pray earnestly. And so Peter's in jail, not his first rodeo in jail. He's been there twice before. In Acts chapter four, he got thrown in jail. And that's the episode where They told him not to share the gospel anymore. Don't tell about the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't speak about the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. And he said, you can do whatever you want to me, but I'm not going to stop sharing the gospel. So just do whatever you're going to do. And you know what they did? They released him. That's what they did to him. They released him. And then in Acts chapter 5, he gets arrested again. This is not a great habit, by the way, to Participate in people just to get arrested more than once. Not a good habit. But Peter arrested twice uh, already. The second time, an angel appears and releases him. And so could it be that God would intervene again? That God would intervene again on Peter's behalf, on behalf of the church, to rescue him? Uh, The book of Acts is all about the power of the world Versus the power of God. And how God's movement cannot be stopped. No matter how powerful a nation thinks it is. And so we're setting the stage here for a battle between Rome and God. And it's kind of a funny story. It's really a comical story about a very difficult some ways tragic issue. Because the night before the trial slash execution, Peter is sleeping between two guards. That in itself is humorous to me. Who drew that short straw on the guard end, right? I, I got to sleep with this guy, like chained to him in a dungeon. You, you got to be low on the totem pole of guard duty to pull that. Here he is sleeping, which should tell you something about Peter's security. We sang about it. Should tell you about his hope in his eternity. And so Luke describes this in great detail: the scene of how Peter is guarded. And all of a sudden, this angel appears, a, a light shines brightly. The angel has to wake Peter up. It says he struck him. That's not like, uh, hey, tap on the shoulder. No, that's like he punched him in the side and said, wake up, Peter. It's a violent. I know, you know, did some of you have to have that happen this morning? Maybe we need to do it now again. But that's, that's the imagery here. It wasn't just like a tap on the shoulder, like, hey, Peter, the alarm's going off. He struck Peter, like punched him in the side and said, get up. It's time to go. Get dressed. Peter's groggy, not sure what's going on. Am I dreaming? Is this a vision? Because again, Peter had those before too. And Luke, as he writes this account, constantly reminds us of the supernatural work of God. All throughout the book of Luke and Acts, the writer is reminding us of the supernatural power of God. That God doesn't operate by human standards. He operates in mighty, miraculous ways. God is acting on behalf of his people and for his glory. And so Peter gets up gets dressed, puts his sandals on, gets this extra cloak, kind of huddles through, passes the guards, passes gate after gate. They get in the city. Finally, he's in the city and the angel leaves him and he kind of wakes up like, oh, hey, this was real. Now what? Can you imagine your heartbeat at that moment when you wake up and realize, oh, I just escaped prison How about some Waffle House? You know, like, what's the next thought there? Peter knows to go to the people who have been earnestly praying for him. And so let's pick up the story and see what happens. Verse 12 of Acts 12. When he realized this, that he was actually awake and out of the prison, He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So that's John Mark, not to be confused with the other Johns we've already mentioned in this story. His name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them, How the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James, different James, and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. He realizes that he's out in the open in the city. He goes to the place where it was common, probably, for the early church leadership to gather to pray, Mary's house. She was the mother of John Mark, the young man who would eventually go on the missionary journeys. We'll read about him in a few weeks. Go on some missionary journeys with Paul and Barnabas. He goes to their house and he knocks. And if you receive our e-newsletter, which I encourage you to sign up for if you don't receive it, the subject line this week was knock, knock, knock. I didn't want to put knock, knock, because you probably would have thought there was a joke coming, but there was no joke. Because of this, Peter standing at the door knocking... And in that culture, in that era, you would shout out your name as well to sort of alert people who you were. And so he's there saying his name, Simon Peter, while knocking. And Rhoda, the young girl, comes to the door, and in her excitement, it's Peter. And instead of opening the door for Peter, she turns around and leaves him hanging out there and goes and tells everyone because what were they doing? What were these people doing while Peter's knocking at the door? Praying. That's right. They were praying for Peter's release. They were praying earnestly for Peter's release. And so she comes in and exclaims, "Peter is at the gate." And what is there? Faithful, believing God moves mightily. Response? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. Do you know what, Rhoda, we're praying here. Come on. Have some decency, respect for the Lord. But she doesn't give up, thank goodness. I don't know any Rhodas in my life, but what a great name. A, a young woman who, who heard, and probably should have opened the door for Peter, but either way, came and declared that God was answering their prayer. He was answering their prayer. And here you have the leaders of the church, the leaders of the church. Rhoda, come on. He's in a maximum security prison guarded by four people all the time. The irony of this moment of the story is that the people praying for the miracle got mad at the person who declared the miracle to be true. I know that's never happened in church, not since this day. But how often do we discredit, how often do we discourage folks who? Are zealous in their faith who have experienced a great God movement in their life, and we sort of like, "Mm, that's nice. Leave me alone, I got bigger business going here. No, Rhoda was this faithful girl, and so much so that her name is in the scripture forever, as one who declared the miracle of God to be true. What a great testimony. And so while they're arguing about whether Peter is actually at the door or not, or if it's just his angel, Peter's still out there, knocking. Anyone home? And so they finally all make it to the door, and everyone's loud and excited, and like a good pastor does, I guess, good pastor, he shushes all of them. And you know why, right? Um, Oh, I just broke out of jail. Let's not make a big scene. So there's some practicality, to, there's a little wisdom in Peter. Finally, he has some wisdom. Like, let's keep it down, folks, because uh, the Romans are coming. They're coming. But the greatest moment of this account is verse 17. After he had motioned for them to kind of keep it down and not create a big scene, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, "Tell these things to James, that's the brother of Jesus, and to the brothers." And then he departed and went to another place. Tell these things to James and the brothers. Tell about the goodness of God to others. Tell about God's supernatural power to others. Tell them that God answers prayers. Tell them that we can never lose hope because our God is a God of hope. Tell them that our God is a God of rescue. Tell them. Go. Go and tell how he answers prayer and so they go and he goes to leave the area and as you might imagine Herod wasn't too happy about this little event and death and mayhem follow him as he executes the guards that were in charge of Peter everyone is out of town And this account is the precursor to God's mighty movement across the world. The death of James. And as you and I consider our faith and as we think about the movement of God, not only in our life, but in the life of our church family, in the life of our community, in the life of our state, nation, and world, I want to remind you about some contrasts that are true, that this story highlights. That that Peter was saved by the power of God, but James was not. And sometimes God will rescue us supernaturally when we may or may not deserve it. And other times, there are grave consequences to our faith. We need to be ready for both of those realities. That our faith is a high calling. And that you see both the reality of physical death and physical rescue in this story. You also see the power of God's hand versus the power of the world. How the world decides to handle things is usually by the sword Contrasted to how God works by breaking chains of all kinds. He is the one who breaks chains and rescues and delivers. And then how often it's easy for us to pray without belief. They earnestly prayed. They didn't really believe so much except for one girl who heard the voice of Peter. And so as you and I think through how God works in our own lives, how we should respond to both great miracles in our lives and those tragedies and heartaches, I want to leave you with just a few takeaways today. As we consider what will it take for a movement of God to spread in our community? What will it take for God to move mightily in Friendswood, League City, Pearland, Alvin, Santa Fe, Dickinson, South Houston? What will it take? Let me tell you some things that I believe are real from this story. One, the world is against Christianity. That will never change. The world was against Christianity in the first century. The world is still against Christianity today. Because if you declare truth and it's not popular, you'll be canceled. But let me remind you that public opinion does not determine truth. Just because the public says something is untrue doesn't make it untrue. The world is against Christianity. The world is against a standard for truth. They are against a Savior who offers them total forgiveness and hope for eternity. They're against him. They were against him then. They're against him now. And our task is to declare the beauty and the grace of that truth. And then we face a spiritual battle, not a physical one. The battle wasn't for Peter's life, his physical life. It wasn't about who was the stronger brute force uh, between Herod and these young Christians. No, it's a spiritual battle. We face a spiritual battle that we do not see. And so we need to be people of prayer that pray earnestly. And so let me encourage you, church family, to pray Pray in all things, believing that God is going to act on our behalf. Don't send up any doubtful prayers. Don't, don't send up prayers without belief. Believe that God will act. Trust that he will act. Now, it may not be the way you want him to act, but God wants to hear his people. And I, I, I'm thankful for this group of believers. Even though they had doubts, they did the right thing. They, they went to God in prayer. And you know how they did that? They didn't do that in isolation They prayed with others. That was the beauty of this moment. The church leaders were gathered together and they prayed with others. And so if you're a praying person, then get other people to pray with you. Pray with one another. That's what the church is about. That we would lean on each other, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would encourage each other, that we would see the power of God move together, that we would have a story to tell. And pray earnestly. It says the leaders prayed earnestly. That's with zeal, zealous, fervent. Like that's the I'm sweating kind of prayer that I'm, my whole body, my mind, body, and spirit, my strength, everything that I have is praying for God to move in this way. And then pray specifically. What were they praying for? For Peter to be released. And what happened? Peter was released. Did they believe it at first? No, they didn't. So shame on them. And shame on us too for not believing when God moves. Pray specifically. And then believe that God will hear your prayers. This is a tough passage because we see one of the disciples of Christ One of the inner three, the men closest to Jesus, beheaded, died for his faith. And yet, that event, along with the arrest and rescue of Peter, set the stage for the message of Jesus Christ to go around the world. And so don't ever ever be discouraged when you go through difficulty when people challenge your faith, when people are against you because of your faith, know that God is on the cusp of doing something mighty. Be a people of prayer. Will you bow with me?